0: I'm sure if you're a person of color, you've gone to a hockey game and you play this count the black folks or count the people that look like me. And usually you come up with like half a dozen that aren't working at the arena, right? And so I was curious. I took to social media, started reaching out, you know, looking for fans of color. And most of the answers I got back were similar to Black folks don't play hockey. Black folks don't like hockey. They don't watch hockey. They don't go to hockey games. And I'm like, well, I do. And I like it. And there's got to be more out there. And there are. There are so many. But one thing that I've noticed was we all kind of feel like we're unicorns, you know, like we're the only one.
1: That's the voice of Renee Hess, the founder of Black Girl Hockey Club. And that experience she's describing, both in the arena and then talking to people afterwards, is, man, it's super relatable for anyone of color who happens to enjoy spending their time in rinks. I am, of course, the in-arena host for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm with Renee. I love the game. You know what? Maybe even a little bit too much. But like Renee, I've spent, you know, moments in my life looking around the arenas and thinking, hmm, Why? I mean, since I was a kid, I've heard the same thing told. Black folks don't like hockey. They don't watch hockey. They don't play it. It's kind of a chicken and egg scenario. Does the lack of diversity in the stands or on the ice at most hockey games create the assumption that this game is a white game or vice versa? In truth, it's a vicious cycle and one that we need to break. This is the understatement of the year to say that our sport has been faced with some tough questions over the past 10 months. And it's not just because COVID-19 has shuttered youth hockey programs and forced the NHL to play in empty arenas. No, the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and way, way too many others have pushed issues of racial injustice and social inequality into sharp focus. And the larger cultural conversations have inevitably spilled into hockey. I mean, after major allegations of racism in hockey at both grassroots and pro levels, and the formation of the Hockey Diversity Alliance in the NHL, we are finally starting to talk about access to the game, representation, and how our most hallowed spaces are sometimes perceived by marginalized groups. Hockey, the game we love, sometimes feels like a game that not everyone can love, and it's time to do something about it. On Barrier Breakers... We're celebrating people of color who have helped change the game, who've broken barriers, changed perceptions, and pushed the needle. Today, we wanted to acknowledge the contribution of somebody who doesn't even know how to skate. Well, not yet. Since forming Black Girl Hockey Club a mere two years ago, Renee has had a larger impact on the game than almost anyone else I can think of. After starting out as a social group on Twitter, The BGHC has become one of the most important voices in hockey advocacy. It hosts community events. It helps cover playing costs for young black women. It aims to fight racism, and it brings a welcoming community into the hockey world. I mean, it's a big deal. This month, the Leafs became another NHL team to sign the BGHC's Get Uncomfortable pledge. It's a document that has laid out a clear and collective direction for the sport on issues of racism, equity, and inclusion, Renee and her group are literally changing the game. And the coolest thing is that she's doing it all from the stands or, you know, I guess in this new COVID reality, her couch. Renee is proof that fans have just as much ownership in hockey as the players, coaches and management do. One of the coolest things about BGHC is that in a lot of ways, its founder and the sport of hockey, they weren't supposed to meet. Renee is a mixed-race woman from Southern California, not exactly what you'd call traditional hockey country. She has an MA in English literature, she's a professor at La Sierra University, she publishes poetry, and before 2017, she would never have described herself as a sports person. And yet, not too long ago, Renee found herself at a Las Vegas tattoo parlor getting her love for the game inked down on her arm. Here I am thinking I'm the only mixed race fan with a hockey tattoo. Turns out I was completely wrong.
0: I have a couple hockey girlfriends and we take hockey vacations. We call them our hockey holidays. And one of these weekends, we were in Las Vegas, going to see the Penguins play the night. And we had another one of our girlfriends who couldn't make the trip, but she had drawn some really beautiful artwork that we had been eyeing for a really long time. And we asked her if we could use it for a tattoo. It's actually a hockey stick with flowers wrapped around it. They look like begonias and there's no color. So it's just the green ink and skin and we all three got it. So we have original hockey artwork made by one of our friends somewhere on our body. Mine's on my arm because I want to be able to see it whenever I can. And my other girls, they got theirs in various spots. And every time now we say, "Okay, so when are we going to add to this tattoo? Next time we get together, we're going to add to this tattoo. Uh, We'll see when that happens i hopefully in
1: the future. Okay, but how do you go from what Renee describes as 100% hockey oblivious to running this kind of campaign? Well, in her case, it was all just chance. She's on the East Coast for work. One night, she runs into some hockey fans on the street. They are fired up. They're on their way back from the game. And there was something about their passion that just lit a spark in Renee. As soon as she got home, she jumped on the computer, looked, searched, and found that hockey bug.
0: You know, it's interesting because hockey doesn't have a lot of entry points for people of color, right? Uh, You know, for the majority of us, our communities are not engaged in the sport. It's not something that we are aware of as kind of like a culture. And so when I discovered hockey, it was really outside of my comfort zone. There was nobody in my family or my friend group that was a hockey fan. And what I did was I reached out on social media and I started looking for hockey fans. And when I found out that one of my friends who we have a mutual um, pop culture love, she was a hockey fan, I asked her, you know, I'm kind of interested in this board can you kind of tell me a little bit more about it and she did and she kind of gave me a starter pack of things I should be looking for, teams I should follow, where I could find information. And I started listening to games. I'm I'm a reader, I'm a writer, and so words mean a lot to me. And I would listen to these amazing games with color commentary by uh, people like Daryl Ray, you know, the Razor Ray, who does it for Dallas. The Dallas Stars, or you know, I would listen to the Penguins commentators and smile like a butcher's dog.
1: This is pure, unadulterated larceny. He went at him like a spider monkey there with a full scissor.
0: And it's just so much fun listening to some of these color commentary that I got kind of enamored with the sound of it. And I started watching games on TV, but nothing compares to going to a live game. And once I went to a live game, I went with my husband and his brother, and we went to go see the Dallas Stars. We went to go watch them lose in Anaheim, which is the closest uh, arena to where I am in Southern California down in the States, and I was hooked. Uh, I had so much fun. I went back that weekend and saw a second game with my friends. And ever since then, I was hooked, man. I was addicted. It's so much fun to watch. It's such a exciting and fast athletic sport. And I never really came from a background of, of just enjoying sports to begin with. And so I was really little surprised at my quick love of the game. And as soon as I kind of settled into this fandom, I started looking around for other Black fans and I didn't find any. I thought I was the only one. You look out on the ice, you look out in the stands when you're at a game and you don't see faces that look like yourself, you know?
1: That experience of looking around an arena and not seeing faces that look like you, it's tough to articulate just how surreal and isolating that experience can be. To love a thing, but question whether you're really meant to? Whether it's really for you? I mean, it's North America. Sports is our heritage. And speaking as a Canadian, hockey is our game. Am I right or am I right? The sad thing is, sometimes though, the sense of isolation and alienation leads a lot of young black hockey players to leave the sport. But getting back to Renee, instead of giving up, accepting that she's the lone black woman in the world who loves hockey, Renee refuses. Instead of listening to that little voice in her head that wonders, do I belong here? No, she debates it. Nah, nah, nah. She can't be alone. There's got to be others like her. And that's when Renee jumps back on the computer and starts digging.
0: In all honesty, I did come up from the perspective of an academic because I was like, I could write a book about this. You know, that that's where I initially came at it from. I wanted to write about the black hockey experience. And as I started doing research, I was reading books about Herb Carnegie and about the Nova Scotia Black Hockey League and the Maritime League. and as I started doing this reading I wanted to get some lived experiences so I was talking to women who were parents of hockey players and fans of hockey and I realized that I needed to kind of step out of my academic bubble and get into my community service bubble which is my other job at La Sierra University you said I'm the assistant director of service learning well my job is to connect with the community and to make a community space for our students out in the real world. And so it kind of felt like a perfect opportunity of me being able to combine my passion, my love of hockey and my love of research and writing with my skill of community building. Once those things all kind of came together, I realized that I needed to put the writing on hold for a minute and live in this experience. And it's it's so funny because I have my writer friends and they'll hit me up and they'll be like, oh, how's the book coming? And I'm like, well, I'm kind of still living in the book right now.
1: The more Renee talked to other Black fans, in particular Black women, the more she found a common experience and a shared desire to connect.
0: One thing that I've noticed was we all kind of feel like we're unicorns, you know, like we're the only ones. And so, you know, this need for community and kind of building a place where we could all get together and get to know one another was really important to me that that be a place because it was something that I know when I came into hockey that I needed, that I wanted and so my development of Black Girl Hockey Club really just came out of this desire to not only have a community space for myself, but have something in place so that when new fans can come into the game and they're, they're of color, they're marginalized, they feel that there's not a space for them in this very white sport, Black Girl Hockey Club can be that space for them.
1: So she decided to schedule a meetup, a chance to bring that community into the arena.
0: We did it in Washington, D.C. at the end of 2018. And we were at a Capitals game because at the time they had two Black players, Devontae Smith-Pelly and Madison Bowie, right? And they have two Black minority owners, Sheila Johnson and um, Earl Stafford. And so we thought, let's do D.C. They just won the cup and the East Coast seems to have more fans of color anyways than the West Coast, at least from what I've seen. And so we decided we were going to do a game in D.C. And we get there. We had a wonderful weekend. We got to go to the Smithsonian African American History Museum, which was awesome. Um, We got to hang out before the game. And then after the game, we went down to one of the locker rooms, it wasn't the Capitals locker room. was actually the Mystics locker room that was empty. And we, we got to sit down there. We were waiting to meet some of these players. The two Black players were gonna come down and Braden Holtby came down and Nick Dowd and a couple others. And we were sitting there waiting and I'm watching these little Black boys who are with their Black moms playing ball hockey on their knees on the floor in the locker room and just laughing and, and enjoying each other's company. I'm seeing these Black women who live in the same state introduce themselves to each other saying I didn't know that you existed you know we play just a few miles from where your son plays and I'm watching this unfold and as I'm sitting there I keep getting these women who are some of them older than me coming up to me saying thank you so much for putting this together this means so much to me and it kind of hit me this needed to continue
1: From that first meeting in 2018 to today, the Black Girl Hockey Club has grown and grown and it's grown some more, creating a wider network, more meaningful connections and friendships and finding their potent voice along the way. Throughout that time, Renee says the response from the larger hockey world has been mostly positive. Still, there are those who suggest the group's existence itself is somehow racist.
0: And of course there are people out there who say stuff like, well, why is there a black girl hockey club that's racist? It should be a, all girls or all people's hockey clubs, you know, very reminiscent of an all lives matter take. And what would you do if there was a white girl's hockey club? <laughs> and, you know, I just tell them, well, that's the USA um, national team. The whole sport is that black girl hockey club. You don't have to be black. You don't have to be a girl to be part of our community. You just have to be cool with us. You just have to have our backs. And that's the only requirement. It's a a safe space for all marginalized identities. And that seems to rub people the wrong way sometimes, but that's their problem.
1: For Renee, the biggest struggle is about staying positive and keeping her membership, the friends she's made in the game, positive. Believing that all the love they put into the game will be reciprocated.
0: Probably the biggest challenge is that it sometimes feels like you love hockey and hockey doesn't love you back. And so we've developed this amazing community and then incidents of really blatant racism happen within hockey culture. Keandre Miller gets uh, called the N-word in a New York Rangers video meet and greet in the beginning of our, our lockdown. Devonte Smith-Pelly, when he's playing, gets told to go back to basketball. Things like that happen all the time, and we hear about them all the time. And so the biggest challenge is reminding these young Black women that this is a space for us, even when the rest of the hockey culture maybe isn't. And that we shouldn't give up our love of something so amazing as ice hockey, because there are haters and racists and misogynists out there who would really like to see us go and you know get back to the status quo. And so that's probably the hardest thing is seeing young black women feeling very distraught and put out and feel like outsiders. Um, because they're constantly othered in the sport of ice hockey. And I think that there's potential for a culture shift in hockey, but it's continuous work, you know, and some some people don't want to put in the work, Uh, but it is. It's a continuous It's anti-racism isn't just like a checkbox and we're like, okay, we're cool now. We've eliminated racism in hockey. That's not going to happen. It's going to be constant education, you know, two steps forward and a step back. That's just how anti-racism work is.
1: For all the moments that have given Renee and the BGHC discouragement, their commitment to pushing the game has never wavered. In fact, it's just grown. This year, the BGHC launched a series of scholarships for young black girls in hockey, awarding 1000 each to four girls across North America, two in Canada and two in the States, to help overcome the financial barriers that often keep people from sticking with the sport. So, I came across this video on Sarah Nurse's page. And trust me, if you're feeling a little down today, you need to check it out. It's about this girl, 11 year old Kanari. We'll put the link in our show notes. This girl was nominated by her coach and mentor, Janelle Forkan. And trust me, when you see Kanari smile and her love for the game, you'll understand that she is a red blooded Canadian who lives for hockey.
0: I was in shock. And I was really happy that she nominated me. I want to keep playing hockey for a
1: long time until I get older, a lot older. In addition to the scholarship program, the Black Girl Hockey Club has also mounted its Get Uncomfortable campaign, a pledge to disrupt racism on and off the ice and make hockey more meaningful to everybody. Everyone from Ron McLean to grassroots hockey folks to NHL clubs like the Seattle Kraken, the LA Kings, and the Washington Capitals, have taken in. And as we noted off the top of the show, we are extremely proud to announce that this month, the Maple Leafs have too.
0: The Get Uncomfortable campaign is all about having those uncomfortable conversations and addressing elephants in the room and you know taking notice of things that maybe 10, 20 years ago would have been swept under the rug and ignored. Thus, a whole population of hockey fandom feeling ignored as well. And so, the Get Uncomfortable campaign is an advocacy campaign that really has three initial pillars to encourage, employ, and to educate. And encourage can be anything from having virtual hangouts like we do to offering scholarships to young black girls who are in need. And so, there's a whole level of that one can do to encourage the hockey community to make a welcoming space for Black girls. And the second one is to employ. And if you've ever heard me say anything, you've probably heard me say that we need to hire more Black women in all levels of hockey. And so we really want to encourage that hockey recruit BIPOC applicants and begin diversifying at all levels. So not just on the ice and behind the bench, but in the front offices and in the C-suites. And then education. Of course, coming as an educator, that's a huge part of what's important to me. And I think it's necessary for us to educate the hockey community on social justice and allyship. And it's good to see the National Hockey League and other organizations taking this to heart. I do think that it's important that this guidance come from BIPOC leaders, that the anti-racism experts, advocates, players, and fans are from the communities that That we are trying to encourage and connect with. You know, time is of the essence because, again, this isn't just a one time deal, this is a long term commitment. And a slogan like hockey is for everyone is great, but we need to see the actions backing up. Words And I I do think that there have been steps taken and there will continue to be steps taken towards an anti-racist culture in hockey. But everybody needs to buy in. And if they don't, then maybe they shouldn't be there.
1: Renee and her organization have really pushed the game of hockey to not only make space for marginalized communities, but to take a look at how it's been shutting doors since the beginning. In addition to the work Renee is doing, what we here at Leafs Forever really love about her story is that it all stems from a genuine and undeniable love of the game, just like we all have. Everything she and the BGHC have done has been motivated by a need to stake a claim. To say, we love hockey no matter what anyone says, and we deserve a space and a voice in this community. I mean, I'm so glad that her passion has produced such positive change in the sport in such a short time. Cannot wait to see more teams and organizations in hockey sign on to the BGHC pledge. And who knows, maybe one day Renee will go back and write that book. Based on our chat, we think it might be a good one. This has been episode one of Barrier Breakers, our look at black players and fans, male and female, who have helped change our game and push it forward. The hope is these stories will inspire you while helping us all think more deeply about where the game of hockey needs to go in the future. We're very excited about this miniseries and hope you'll join us for the full journey. If you haven't yet, go to blackgirlhockeyclub.org and take the Get Uncomfortable pledge. Let's all disrupt the status quo in hockey and ensure our sport is truly for everyone. A very big thank you to Renee for taking the time with us. Give her a follow on Twitter. And, of course, follow BGHC. They're always tracking the most interesting folks in the conversation around race and, well, just hockey in general. Barrier Breakers was co-created by us here at Least Forever and Akil Augustine. Today's episode was written by myself and Paul Matthews, produced by Katie Jensen and Vocal Fry Studios for Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. Further thanks to associate producers Jay Coburn, Ren Banger, Emily Latimer, Erica Dreyer and Savannah Hamilton, Barrier Breakers is a weekly series, so make sure you catch us next week. If you like this one, tell people about it and write us a review. Your feedback is always welcome, especially on this series. Help us think about this issue in a new and interesting way. And if you have story suggestions for the types of things we should be talking about, let me know. I'm Scott Willits. Until next time, go Leafs go.